Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway, the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I feel bad, Adam. <laughs> Why do you feel bad this time, Ben? <laughs> we, uh, we do a little synchronized clap at the beginning of an episode to give Wendy mm-hmm. a nice easy spot to line up the, the audio file from your side and the audio file from my side. And what it does is it creates a waveform that's very obviously the, uh-huh. the hands coming together, very easy to see in the waveform. Yeah, makes it easy to just make a visual alignment, and then you can mm-hmm. fine tune it a little bit if you need to. But yeah, we did a you you whispered the countdown, and then we both did very subtle claps. And I'm looking at this waveform here; it's not an obvious hand clap. It's not the spike that we normally give Wendy. I'm looking at great spike. I'm looking at uh, turgid spike on my levels. You got good spike. Yeah. Oh man, my spike is nothing. I did my little baby whisper clap right next to the microphone, and I got barely any spike. You want to reclap? Would that make you feel better? Okay, let's just reclap. People can hear for the first time ever. Maybe not for the first time ever, but but how we actually synchronize here. Sure. Three, two, one. I got a nice sync mark. That sounded just as quiet as the first one. I don't know what happened, but I got barely any waveform. I got no bird on that first one. I got a nice bird on this one. Oh, okay. All right. You got hard bird then. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you did. Yeah, big bird. (laughs) Yeah. You got snuffle up, I guess. Is big bird based on an actual bird? Like, have they determined his species? Hmm. He kind of looks like an ostrich, right? Right. You want, want, like, the Terminator eyepiece point of view to, like, identify what species of bird. Oh, hey, D. The reason I say ostrich is because both Big Bird and ostriches have just big old dumpers. They do. Oh, man. Yeah, they do, you know, have enough in the trunk that you could put a red Solo cup on there. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. We're in the VIP section doing bottle service, but the table is Big Bird's dumper. (laughs) (laughs) Is it time for Big Bird to get old? Also, or is Big Bird doing the Simpsons thing where no one ever ages? I think Big Bird exists outside of time. I I don't think that you can really put a time on Big Bird. Kind of feel like some kids out there would benefit from the knowledge (laughs) that people and things age and die like Big Bird. Try to imagine the ratings on Death of Big Bird as an episode of Sesame Street. <laughs> they got to shave his feathers like in the chest to to like get the paddles in oh, there because yeah. those paddles aren't going through the feathers. Right. Yeah. That's. I have heard that the uh, defibrillators that they have on set at Sesame Street do have giant uh, razor blades included <laughs> in the kit. What if that was a thing? Like, if you were Stanley Tucci and you had a heart attack on set, uh-huh. you have to shave his chest. Before you do the defibrillators, right? (laughs) Yeah. If I were at great risk of heart attack, I would have my chest shaved. Except I don't need to have my chest shaved, obviously. But you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. But that's just prudent, right? If you you were walking around with like a, you know, Robin Williams-like thatch on your chest. Yeah. 
an Austin Powers. If I'm at a greater risk of a hairy chest heart attack, <laughs> I'm going to do some things. What would take Big Bird out, Adam? In in the Death of Big Bird episode of Sesame Street, what would would it be like a a fail son with a hunting rifle? <laughs> Intellectually, he'd fit in with a group of kids. I, I was picturing Big Bird fighting Doomsday the way Superman did in Death of Superman. Oh, yeah. It does seem like in the way that all childish things become darker versions in the reboot or in the modern version. Uh-huh. SNL did this with Oscar the Grouch not that long ago, right? They did a a dark, superheroic <laughs> movie preview of him, and it was great. I missed that one. That sounds fun. The beloved residents of Sesame Street like you've never seen them before. Part of what made it great was that you could see it. You could see it happening. Right, yeah. Warner's has this IP now because of the deal between Children's Television Workshop and HBO. Yeah. <laughs> They're bringing Oscar into the DC yeah. film universe. <laughs> Almost like... Tickle me one more time, motherfucker. Yeah. What's fucked up is that that means it's like a continuity, you know? So, like, uh, Elmo's in the continuity. Bert and Ernie are in the continuity. Like, when when Batman and Superman fought and, like, destroyed Metropolis or whatever, like, that, that like, really was hard on the, uh, on the people of the Sesame Street district. Like, in the borough, yeah, like the people on the ground. I think we're starting to construct a, a story here, right? Like Sesame Street as a borough has started to fall into decay. Right, yeah. The income disparity. You used to be able to afford an apartment on Sesame Street. Right. But now it's all like shithole landlord assholes. Right, and and all of this all kind of links up to Wayne Enterprises somehow. <laughs> like they own a lot of these buildings like through shell companies and stuff. And maybe the cold open of this movie is like, God, Big Bird's just trying to get to work. And it's like, he runs to catch a bus, but that bus isn't stopping on the way to Sesame Street. But God, he's too old to run like that. Oh no. Oh no, Big Bird's doubling over and he's grabbing his chest. Why won't anyone help him? Yeah. Why won't they help him? (laughs) And one guy finally shows up with the paddles. Uh, Yeah, like I've got the paddles, but look at all this fucking... Full this these these feathers. How are we gonna get through? You were gonna say foliage, right? Yeah, I, I was gonna say foliage. That works. Yeah, <laughs> there isn't enough conductive gel in the kit to get through all the fucking feathers. You sex worker, give me your lube. And there's like four sex workers on the corner. Like, oh yeah, they just it's a rough neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, plumage, I think, is the word I was looking for. But then, yeah, so Oscar becomes right. the kind of unlikely, like, he's he's not the hero we want, but he's the hero we need right now, kind of. Yeah, like, what's going to get him out of his can? <laughs> like, are we finally going to see his legs? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? what is, how is Oscar the Rouch doing on WikiFeet? That's the Hans Zimmer burr moment is, is like super close up of like one foot stopping next to a, a mm-hmm. garbage can and then another green foot landing next to and it walking away from camera. Holy shit. Oscar's walking. <laughs> He's walking. Yeah. And then it's like, lie, 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 lie. And every time the that hits, it's like a, 
it's him hitting his his can with a baseball bat and like yeah he's like destroying his own home so that he can't go back to it Oscar coming. <laughs> yeah, he goes into Mr. Hooper's store, orders a pack of Newport and uh, some yeah. Honey Nut Cheerios. How did Mr. Hooper get those scars? <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's a universe I want to live in. I, 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 you know, I know that there's only like three media companies, and they're all just recycling the same IP over and over again, but. Uh, that's a, a direction they could take it that I would actually be enthusiastic about. I've always considered us a creative think tank, Ben. Mm. You and me. Uh, th- think tank, Adam? What what makes you say that particular phrase? Well, it was a home economics teacher pulled me aside while I was washing dishes in class. Uh-huh. This was my senior year in high school, and she was like, you know, I think if I were going to predict your future career, <laughs> I think you'd be great in a think tank. Really? And I had no idea what that was. And I was like, that sounds great. Thanks. And secretly in the back of my mind, I've been like attracted to the idea of being in a think tank Mm, ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Adam parlays his successful Star Trek podcast into a fellowship at the Cato Institute where he publishes like vaguely academic seeming papers that are really just pretexts for the justification of relaxing industry regulations and lowering taxes on the wealthy? Well, I mean, most of my papers written in college were kind of pseudo-academic anyway. <laughs> so. Well, let's see if we can rise, if, if our academic skills can rise to the occasion of reviewing this particular think tank, Adam. That's right, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager, Season 5, Episode 19, Think Tank. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. There's a blue man here, not as part of a group, Adam. He's no. by himself, and he is looking for anyone who will answer. He's clearly in a waiting room of some kind because of the fish tank. <laughs> yeah. That jellyfish uh, does not have a lot of room to move around. You know, you hear about this, like people putting their animals that they keep in a cage in a cage that they can't turn around in. Uh. I just felt really bad for this jellyfish. This looks like the sort of aquarium prop that they used in the Aliens universe. Like, this was always the thing they kept the chest burster in. Right, yeah. Or, or like, the very hairy Ripley, yeah, right? When yeah. they were cloning Ripleys. Yeah, they, when they walk into that room and it's like versions 1 through 19 when they were trying yeah. to <laughs> dial it in. And 2 through 19 were like Ripley from the movie The Ring, just like all <laughs> wet hair. Yeah. This instead... I mean, it's less troubling. It's not not troubling, though. Who doesn't like looking at a jellyfish floating around? I love a jellyfish. You know, go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, go to the Jellies Hall. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. There's a pickup truck driving oceanographic... Oceanographic Ankylosaur. professionals there <laughs> doing the good work. Show you extremely grisly videos about uh, killing whales, and then they lead you on a tour. This blue guy, he's startled, and he's startled by someone who doesn't look like him. They don't speak the same language either. It's very confusing for both of them, it seems. Yeah, just a lot of like clicks and and bleep blorps. Yeah. There's like a kind of crappy, like low rent R2-D2 rolling around. There's a widescreen TV in the background with a whale in it, much like the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Indeed. 
I really like loaf that looks like it was cut with a razor blade. Like the intricacy of these two species, I think is great. And then like when George Costanza pops out from from the side stage, you're like, oh yeah, not all not all aliens get that kind of fit and finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when you've got a Jason Alexander yeah, you don't cover for a cameo, up. you don't cover that up. And also you probably there's probably negotiation, right? Like this is uh Jason Alexander at the peak of his stardom and probably does not want to sit in the makeup chair for like 10 and a half hours, right? I don't know. Like, he's a fan of Star Trek and he has been forever. Like, if you're a fan of Star Trek and you're a famous, do you want all the loaf or do you not want the loaf? I don't know. I'd probably want to be in a storyline where I begin in loaf and then through some sort of procedure, I'm... (laughs) I walk down the stairs and I am revealed to be a beautiful face like this. Right, right. And then I go to work without needing to hit the chair. Right. Well, you you get the loaf and like the overalls flecked with paint at the beginning of the episode. Right, right. <laughs> Who knew it was such a hunk under all that? I never pictured my tenure on a Star Trek episode being long enough for there to be any character development like that. I just picture myself walking down a hallway and then a torpedo hitting the ship and a hull breach sucking me out into space. Yeah, no one is fitting us for loaf, but they are fitting us for jerk cable, right? (laughs) Exactly. You don't need a lot of time in a makeup chair for that. No, no. You know, you'd be able to bring your own harness, probably. I have plenty of harnesses. I I mean... One harness won't be missed from your nightstand. Yeah, I was one time planning a weightlessness scene in a music video that wound up getting canceled before we were able to make it, but I like bought a rock climbing harness <laughs> for for shooting that scene before the video was canceled. So I do have like a, a real rock climbing harness around here somewhere. So I think I could I think that would attach to a jerk cable. When you see the rock climbers dig in the little pouch of of uh, of dust, mm-hmm. you know, for their fingers. Oh yeah, a little rosin bag or whatever. How much of that dust is going up in their grundle to keep the thing from rubbing? Oh, it's rubbing all over the place. So you're saying that this is talc that they're using, and <laughs> and it's it's dual purpose talc. It's for gription on the rock face, but also just for keeping it dry in the in the harness region. Wouldn't talc be best? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck they do. I thought it was like chalk that they use in the gym. I don't know if I... Is chalk and talc the same? We'll never be in a gym to know that. (laughs) Hey, mister. Mister. (laughs) That stuff you're clapping in your hands and in your jug? (laughs) What is that? This blue dude cannot pay. I'm sorry. This is all we can offer you. You are lying. Jason Alexander's character, uh, and I wrote his name down here. Oh, Cura Stanza mm-hmm. is uh, ready to accept payment for services rendered from this blue man. Uh, they save his planet, and uh, if the guy doesn't pay, they're ready to like turn off the stasis field or whatever that's stabilizing their planet. Yeah. This guy wants to give him like a museum trinket as payment, and he's like, no fucking way, dude. That's not going to cut it. It's a great scene because you think that Kurostanza has this guy over a barrel full of earthquakes and it's not cool what he's doing to the blue guy. But the blue guy kind of tried to fuck him over, right? Yeah. Like, 
Like there were net 30 terms on holding his planet together and this guy's both late and trying to barter for something else. That's not what they agreed on. Yeah. There's a contract. Yeah. Much as my roofer is about to find out, there's a contract with a five-year warranty on labor. Yeah. Which makes the uh, the decking screws they used an interesting choice. <laughs> ben, Kuristanza's politeness is really unnerving throughout the episode, and it really starts here, right? I was raised to say, God bless you. Yeah, I wondered how much that is just, like, this is the curse of a Jason Alexander, right? Like, he is so, yeah. and he's talked about this a lot. Like, he is so yeah. fully associated with one very specific character that is just based on the creator of the show he was on. Yeah. That he, like, kind of can't get out from under it, and it is very unnerving to see him not like this is a negotiation about payment, but it is not petty and it's not like <laughs> <laughs> no, and he doesn't raise his voice. Yeah, it's it, like he's not afraid of anything in this scene. Yeah, like all of these things turn George Costanza on his head. Yeah, Costanza is nothing like George Costanza. It's very true. Solving problems is what we do. After the theme, we're in Janeway's ready room where. Uh, Seven catches Janeway puzzling, and it feels like Janeway is too young to do puzzles for fun, right? <laughs> is it too old or too young? She's like in the middle period of your life. When you're a kid, you can puzzle, and when you're an old, you can puzzle. She could book the holodeck whenever, right? right? right. She could jump the line and be in the holodeck, but instead, she's doing silver Rubik's Cube. Right. I've wasted two hours on this thing and I'm no closer to solving it. And this doesn't even look like a particularly effective masturbatory aid like some of the gadgets no. in her favorite holodeck program. <laughs> it's subtle. Leonardo would have no use for this. Seven interrupts with good news, actually. They've found a planet that's like just a great big pile of dilithium. That's something that they always need more of. So yeah, they're pulling up to that. They're like getting ready to start scanning it and, or I guess they do scan it. And, and because they scanned it, the planet just goes full praxis. Like it seems like it reacts to their scan by exploding. <laughs> this was so effectively shocking to me. Yeah. Because it happens so fast. You're doing all the Star Trek things you're supposed to. You roll up on a planet, you have to scan it. Yeah, that's what you do. I just love scanning for life forms. Boom. <laughs> Big explosion, like an explosion that knocks the ship off of its, uh, you know, even keeled placement. I I wondered, was this all part of the setup? Did the Hazari rig the planet? Did the think tank rig the planet? I wish we got a definitive answer to this, because I also, as the episode played out, kind of assumed that it was like that. But, I mean, if anyone was to rig it, it would have to be the think tank and their technology, right? Because it doesn't seem like the Hazari, while formidable tactically, have planet exploding power the way the think tank probably does, right? Right. So, yeah, speaking of the Hazari, this is when they show up. This is a species that Seven explains are really well known as like bounty hunters. They always get their man and... uh they're not to be fucked with. Yeah, they sound mean as hell. Yeah, and they're like going down the list of like who hired bounty hunters on us. Like who could it have been? Let's see. Who hates our guts in the D quad? <laughs> and this list 
is really long, actually. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Why don't you read me the list of allies in the D quadrant? Yeah. And it's just crickets. Captain Janeway gets on FaceTime with their would-be captor who is trying to play hardball and she comes back over the top on, in the hardball department mm-hmm. with such devastating f- ferocity. I could not believe it. We're far from defenseless. Why don't you save yourself some trouble? Janeway does not want to fuck around with this guy even a tiny bit. And she comes very close to blowing up the damn ship in service of not letting this guy get his quarry today. This is old school Janeway rules right here. Yeah. Like, come and take it. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a good shirt. Right. Like a silhouette of Voyager and then come and take it. (laughs) (laughs) What is the, it's like in Greek sometimes on the back of people's pickup trucks. Yeah. And there's like a cannon or something. Right. Yeah. I think it means something bad, but we could take that and make it mean something good. Right. Yeah. I think it's for like Second Amendment assholes a lot of the time. But uh, it's like the the Gadsden flag, but it's like pieces of Harry Kim's clarinet (laughs) all all broken up into its different parts that you need to separate it into before you put it in the clarinet case. Don't honk on me. (laughs) Anyways. So they blow up the gas cloud of the expanding debris of the dilithium planet that they just blew up or that they just accidentally blew up or got blown up on them or whatever. It got blown up on them. Yeah. 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 I like that. That's what she says. We don't get the answer, but if it literally did just react to being scanned by blowing up, then they did blow it up, right? It's true. Anyways, they get away from this one Hazari ship, but then we're down in the ass lab and they're like, oh yeah, there's like tons and tons of Hazari ships all around. And they're like, they're just kind of making a cloud around us. So this is not going to be quite as easy to escape as all that. Chicote's hair is swept back up again, which I guess means the wet Caesar was only temporary <laughs> and, and sports related. Yeah. This one is a lot more lightly dressed. He's already on pace for more dialogue than he's had the entire season. Yeah. This is a, it seems like there's been a bit of a Chicote reset. I like it. I'm down with that. Yeah. Like one episode that felt like, eh, this kind of feels like earlier season Chicote in an uncomfortable way, but now we're back. Yeah. I like Chicote's it. Chicote's doing things. Hair is puffy and dry. Back and better than ever. This path ahead that they're looking at in the ass lab is absolutely dotted with Hazari ships. Yeah. And they are getting closer. It doesn't look good. So it's a it's a bit of a puzzle. And Janeway is up burning the midnight oil in Neelix's restaurant. He like pours her a cup of coffee and knocks off for the night. I like the suggestion that she could be doing this with a hypo spray, <laughs> but she likes the taste. <laughs> Why would I mainline it when I can enjoy the flavor? There's coffee in that acquired taste. I don't think the hypo spray keeps you regular either. Oh yeah. Yeah, if you if you injected coffee, that's not gonna get you pooping, right? No. No. It's not the same. What are you gonna do in the morning in between that twenty and forty five minutes? <laughs> yeah. Well imagine all that unstructured time. Back in your hands. <laughs> Janeway doesn't want that. Yeah. 
So Neelix fucks off and uh, Kuristanza, uh, who appears uninvited like the Red Baron Pizza Man, yeah. sitting in her spot. Who are you and what do you want? I'm the opposite of every guy you've ever met. I noticed something kind of troubling about uh, his hair. He's got this kind of ill-defined fuzz of blonde hair. And he's there saying, I alone can fix your problems. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I don't like the comparison my brain is making right now. <laughs> he looks like uh, an aging guitar player for a band that's going back on a reunion tour, like <laughs> a band that was very popular in the 70s. Right, right. Yeah. I, I left my hair like this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he, he says, like, you know, you and I, we're not so different. I mean, I may be wearing the robes of a monk, but I, too, am an explorer of all of space and time. She at first takes great umbrage with the idea that he is an intruder on her ship. And then he does that thing from Lost Highway where he's like, I'm not actually here. And to prove it, I'll have you call me Mm. on my think tank ship. (laughs) (laughs) And he hands her the phone and it's him on the phone. Give me back my phone. Yeah. It's creepy as hell. But he can also taste the coffee. Yeah. What? What is this, man? I'm fucking freaking out here. It's the sort of David Lynchian episode that really begs to be rewatched over and over again mm. just to try to figure it out. Yeah, see if you could puzzle through it. Yeah. It's a puzzle episode, Ben. Yeah, he's a puzzle dork. He explains yeah. this. Like, we, the way we explore is by finding little challenges, little brain teasers. And, uh, you know, you've got a... Thursday crossword puzzle level issue here, you know? You're not going to figure this out by yourself. It is the best kind of puzzle. Every day I'm puzzling. Every day I'm puzzling. Every day, every day, every day I'm puzzling. I'm a player. (laughs) Yeah. He pulls out his iPhone and shows her that he's put an all-day event on every day of his calendar app that just says puzzling. Uh And she's like, that's cute. That's cute. (laughs) He's pitching her on helping with the Hazari problem. She's like, "What you know? What do you want in exchange?" And he's like, "Ah, we'll leave the details for later. Come pay us a visit. You can come in person. Uh, I left my address on your computer, along with a bunch of interesting information about the Hazari." I fell for this all the time. Like uh, the girl would always say, "I left my number on your phone." Mm, yeah, and then when I went to call it. Not the number. Fake number, and also she'd venmo herself a $1,000. Yeah. Yeah. The number somehow connected to me, <laughs> and it was me on the other side? Yeah, yeah. And it was proving that you weren't there, and you were like, how does this work? And how can, <laughs> how can you taste the coffee I'm holding? <laughs> <laughs> so he has a couple of uh, caveats on this visit. He's like... Uh, you can bring one other person and you can't bring any scanning equipment. Right. So who is Janeway going to bring? Yeah. Who wants to be picked first? Yeah, there's not, there doesn't seem like a lot of hands are flying up, right? It's not like an ooh, 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 pick me, pick me Yeah. kind of situation. I was surprised that she picked seven. It's a beautiful name for a boy or a girl, especially girl or a boy. It's not a name. It's a number. The moment where there is the conversation about the price of the help and the selection of a crew person, like back to back in sequence, I did really feel some of the most toys vibes. Yeah. 
from this episode, and it really starts here. Definitely. And they sort of have their, you know, collection of weirdos, but also when they talk about like different types of payment they've received, then it's like a kind of soup is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys are just like you have strange taste and you live in a post-scarcity future where something being rare and weird is more interesting than it being like valuable on like a monetary assessment. You get that kind of the most toys feeling again when Seven and Janeway beam over. They, they're in the same location as the cold open took place. And Kurostanza steps out to greet. And he does that thing where he shows off all of, you know, like in the most toys, it was like a rare and, and valuable items. But yeah. in this... It was a baseball card. It was a weird gun. Yeah. And now it's like, here's a jellyfish. Yeah. And that's a beanbag <laughs> yeah. or whatever. He's like feeding the jellyfish going, lulululululu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A floor light in the middle of the room is what allows this crew of very different species to communicate telepathically with each other. And a banger announces to everyone that Bevox is ready to meet too. Yeah, He's the giant thing in the bioplasmic tank outside the window. The whale guy is uh, the founder of the Think Tank and mm -hmm. founded it over 100 years ago, but uh, is very sensitive about, you know, never ask a whale their age. That's uh, that's yeah. considered very rude. If he's sensitive about this, imagine how sensitive he is at the end of the episode when the Hazari just rain fire on his fucking tank. <laughs> You're not supposed to to tap the glass of a tank. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. How loud are those torpedoes? You think? <laughs> Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Kurostanza is like rattling off the list of problems they've solved, one of which is curing the Vidian phage. Yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? She's going to have a whole new face. Like, we'll never see the Vidians again, but that's nice to know. We get so much more time with Kurostanza in this scene, and it really makes me appreciate how great Jason Alexander is at this gear, at this slowed down, very chill, very polite kind of way about him. You got to trust a guy like this, right? He's just here introducing you to his friends. That guy lives in a tank. We're all coming up with ideas here. Yeah. We're here to help. <laughs> I believe we can solve the Hazari paradox without firing a single weapon. That's just what I'm looking for. It really feels a bit like a TOS throwback, like the energy he's throwing into the character. It's sort of the room that does that, right? Yeah, and... I feel like that's where his fandom starts. So it's probably also uh -huh. like just part of like what's informing what he wants to do with a Star Trek character when he gets a chance at one. Right. But yeah, like also just a scene where an alien like spends 10 minutes explaining their deal. <laughs> it's a yeah. very TOS idea. <laughs> the weird sentient robot in the middle of the room that looks like he attended Randall Peltzer's Inventors Convention <laughs> on Christmas Eve is <laughs> a great touch. Like, and and that I think supports your theory about like what inspires a scene in a setting like this is like that robot kind of looks like a past robot too. Yeah, yeah. That robot, uh, speaking of which, comes into play later in the scene. But uh, 
Janeway also asks like, hey, so like we got this prime directive thing. You guys got anything like that? And he's like, well, you know, we wouldn't do like an entire genocide. Like we, you know, we'll, we'll take out a planet. We'll take out a, a star fleet, but we wouldn't kill like everybody in a species. Like not all of them everywhere. Yeah, I mean, we're more like arms dealers types. Can you bring me the gun of Rambo? Part one, two, or three. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> I love how this does not shake Janeway's yeah. interest in Kurostanza's help because when she is back in the Voyager, she's like, well, I do have some doubts about their moral character, but <laughs> if we are to survive this trap that's closing in, dot, dot, dot. Captain Janeway, I too have some concerns about the moral character of the members of the think tank. I think if you're going to do genocide, you should do it. And if you're not, you should not. You should not do medium genocide. Genocide or get off the path. (laughs) And also, if you genocide, only flush paper. We have very sensitive plumbing on Delta Rana. <laughs> We're on a septic system, <laughs> which I found very insulting when we bought this house because I don't want my personal speech impediment to come into play every time I talk about how we deal with waste here. A contractor came out and said, you know, you could run your septic system further out than the grass, you know, into the burned stuff. And I said, no, <laughs> keep it within the one acre by one acre lawn. <laughs> Anyways, when I tried to join the think tank, they said I wasn't think tank material. <laughs> and then I found out about their genocide policy and I was disgusted. <laughs> it turns out going independent was great for me. <laughs> I genocided better than they ever did. <laughs> Look at me now, think tank. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're going to like invoice Janeway with like what they want to be paid in compensation for solving this Hazari problem. Yeah. But uh, the robot is really curious about Seven of Nine and wants to know about incorporating biological with mechanical parts and mm-hmm. proposes a little mind link. And, uh, it seems like this is established before Seven of Nine has an opportunity to like thumbs up or thumbs down it. I wish I knew more about this little robot and what it was really after because initially, like, there's a couple of concepts here with no connective tissue between them. And I was like, well, does the little robot want to have some flesh on it? Like, is that its intent for wanting to speak with Seven? And if that's the case, then like I can get with that as a concept. Yeah. Maybe he wants to do some walking around. Well, that's the pitch. But then like later, Janeway realizes that it was more about like getting a load of what Seven's got going on in her noggin and seeing if, right. if she, unlike Kevin, is think tank material. Right, right. Later on, we learn that among the list of demands that Kurastanza has, at the bottom of the list. Good job by him not leading with the top thing. Right. It goes uh, It goes soup, 
slipstream drive technology, yeah. and then seven. Right, yeah. It's like checking out at a, at a grocery store and trying to hide the embarrassing item with a bunch of other stuff. It's like, you know, got a pint of Ben and Jerry's, a couple of apples, a newspaper, box of condoms. Ooh. <laughs> Hell yeah, X-Borg! Give me Savon! <laughs> Just hit G8. If you like pina coladas, bring it out! So uh, so he's hologrammed into Janeway's office to give her this list. And she's like, well, this is uh, not really what we had in mind when you suggested uh, trade or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're definitely going to have to give it some thought, but um, I'll get back to you, basically. You know what I like about how this isn't like the most toys? is Kurostanza isn't going to take Seven by force. Yeah. He's going to create all of this subterfuge. Like, he's going to... He's almost uh, a little bit of a Dracula about it. Like, he doesn't want Seven unless Seven wants to be there. Right. He wants her to invite herself over, of her own volition. I think that is really interesting, and it's really interesting in the context of their ship being so much more technologically impressive than the Voyager. Like every time they scan it, they're like, holy shit, it's made out of this material that's only theoretical. Yeah. So the next scene is Janeway kind of like telling Seven what the pitch is. She's like, yeah. So like they said, if you go join their think tank, they'll for sure help us. You know, it's like a bunch of useless trinkets and you, I don't love it, but it's kind of your call. And that's a feels like a big step, right? Like Janeway's talking about how it doesn't seem like something she would uh, have left up to Seven a while ago, but now Seven has kind of come far enough that Janeway is prepared to extend that kind of latitude. Well, like Kurostanza later really leans into the idea that, you know, at the think tank, we're a very prestigious institution where... You can be a sort of goodwill hunting figure. You know, you'll win the fucking Fields Medal every quarter if you want. And even in this scene, Janeway is like, yes, they have very interesting things over there that we don't. (laughs) But we have us. Right. Our relationship, which hasn't always been good. (laughs) And kind of a cap on your ambition professionally. So Many would argue that that's Almost a disincentive of staying. (laughs) (laughs) So it's up to you. Would you like to join them? I am intrigued. I like that it's up to her. And Seven is in. She's loyal enough that she wants to save Voyager. She wants to tour the campus at least. Right. Yeah, go over there and kick the tires. Yeah, go throw the frisbee on the quad. Yeah. On the ship that Kurostanza lives on, which do you think they think of as being the think tank? The one that the whale lives in or the one that the jellyfish lives in? I mean, what I noticed above the frame of the tank was kind of a needle point that says, uh, whoever dies with the biggest tank wins. Uh (laughs) And knowing that, I believe Bevox Mm. is the lead thinker or the lead tank. I liked when the camera panned up and showed that and then it panned over and showed a, if this tank's a rock and don't come a knocking (laughs) right before you know, one of its kind of whale songs shook the whole ship. 
Yeah, if this tank's a sloshing, we're not joshing <laughs> about how much sex we're having in this tank. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker available at Pontop Tip Biz right now. It's a little overwritten, but I think it conveys what we're trying to say. <laughs> so the next scene is a visit from Curastanza in the cargo bay. I guess maybe he's like, uh, he's probably brought like a tape measure to figure out how, how much space they're going to need to make for her recharging pad over on their ship. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so are you going to be packing up all of this or you would just want to start fresh? I notice you've got four or five bays here, but you really only need the one to recharge. Do you need all of this or? You know, the thing about staying in the dorms is they have those uh, long twin beds. Mm. You never see them outside of that context. They, they require special <laughs> sheets. Yeah. So we'll give you one long, thin alco. Yeah. That's what you get. That really fucked me over in college because I got to the Bed Bath & Beyond on campus late. And yeah. those sheets had really been picked through. So I got really shitty bed sheets. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> shitty bed sheets in the dorms is really going to limit your sexual potential. In college. I was limiting my sexual potential <laughs> plenty without the help of my bed sheets, Adam. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Get that low enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This is an interesting conversation. The crux of Kurastanza's pitch is basically... Everybody on Voyager is pretty dumb, and your job here sucks. Yeah. So if you come work with us, you're going to be around a bunch of smarty pantses. You'll be able to live up to your full smarty pants potential. You've got a lot of inherent talent on top of all of the stuff you learned as a Borgs that makes you very unique and very interesting to us. This made me sad because he's not wrong, right? Seven has reached the ceiling on the USS Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't seem like there is a path to things getting better for her. Right. In any way. Yeah. I wonder if uh, we'll see her at all in Lower Decks, like in the context of a galaxy where the pack leads are doing a lot more uh -huh. active stuff around. Because I really would like to see Seven of Nine interact with a pack led. <laughs> Whatever Lower Decks wants to do is what I'm here for. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because Janeway being the messenger of this pitch had Seven convinced that she wanted to do it. But Kurastanza being the messenger of this pitch kind of changes Seven's mind. There's another angle to the pitch, too, that Kurastanza has that I thought was really interesting. He's like, you know, if you don't believe you in your unlimited potential over here, you should also know that I was a form of payment once yeah. to the think tank. And look at how great I turned out. <laughs> Actually, that's way louder than he would have put it. He would have been like, you know, I too was payment to the think tank. And things have been great for me ever since. You might say... George is pretty happy with not having had to grow up around his parents. Maybe they don't like us. Why wouldn't they like us? Seven's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Kuristan's just like, I am eating my dessert. How do you do it? <laughs> with your hands. <laughs> so he ends this meeting leaving a, uh, a recording device in his briefcase and walks out of the room. <laughs> And then walked back in to collect the briefcase to find out if Seven was talking shit. Yeah. 
Boy, uh, he really does have that energy of trying to put off getting dumped. Like, <laughs> look, I know your answer for now is no, and it seems like it may be no for a little bit, but what I'm trying to say is keep thinking about it until it's a yes. Yeah. So they go up to the bridge because Seven has to help with a Hazari attack, and Kuristanza uh, decides to come with and observes and actually gives some pretty crucial tactical advice to the captain about how do you deal with two Hazari ships coming after you. Yeah. How do you deal with two at the same time? Mm -hmm. Kind of a lot to concentrate on. I can't! I'm not an orangey guy! (laughs) Are you crazy? It's just kind of like, you know, as long as you kind of like keep zhuzhing the one, you can focus on the other as much as you want. Right. Right. But if you're closer to one of them and too much attention is paid to the other... Then all sorts of bad outcomes could happen later on, like after the battle. That Hazari is going to be like, what was that about? Or, you know, are you still in love with me? (laughs) And he's like, no, I was shushing. Was I not shushing? (laughs) (laughs) I liked in this scene, they're like getting hit, but I guess because he's a hologram, he's not reacting to the bangers. So like every time all of the other actors like do a big shake to sell that they're getting hit by inbound Hazari fire. He's just standing there like calm and and not bouncing around like everyone else. That's such a great detail. And I I mean, I kind of wonder if you're a big Star Trek fan and you get to be on the cast, if if that makes you sad. Like, I don't get to I don't get to go through the bangers. <laughs> you guys all get to do it and I don't? God yeah. fucking damn it! I fucking do like 11 seasons as like the fucking star of one of the most popular sitcoms on television and I I can write my own ticket and I get to go on my favorite fucking TV show and the one thing I want to do it's a banger and I have to stand fucking still for it fuck you know this whole situation is like a metaphor you know Like, (laughs) like me Jason Alexander I'm from the think tank. I'm over here on Star Trek. <laughs> you guys need to respect the game and give me a banger. Yeah. <laughs> he gets bangers later, all right. He sure does. On the think tank ship. Yeah, he's going to enjoy those. Yeah. But for now, Seven announces like, hey, uh, really appreciate the pitch, but um, I think I'm going to stick with these guys. And... He's like, well, by my calculations, you're not going to actually. You're gonna, you're gonna change your mind. But uh, you know, uh, for now, you feel the need to to not come over. You're a fucking funeral. You're gonna die. No exterior shots of this little battle. Kind of bum me out. They did an entire planet explosion, and there's a huge fight with like 15 ships in it at once yeah. later in the episode. There's no fucking way. There's a middle space fight (laughs) yeah we don't get that yeah the budget cannot bear something like that and pay jason alexander's day rate yeah (laughs) jason alexander is fine with those terms (laughs) so when the battle is over kuristanza tells janeway you know you could just order her to my ship that's a way we could make this clean, right? Yeah, we could be done with this. Uh, no. George, you're not getting seven. Now get out of here. Please, I have so little. And then he leaves to go back to the think tank ship, and it cloaks. Yeah. And uh, they have a quick conversation 
uh, about like, okay, like we just have to let the scenario keep running itself out, but uh, we'll get her eventually. 96% chance is a pretty heavy favorite, Ben. Yeah. Although if you've ever played XCOM 2, you know that that's far from 100% chance. Very far. So when we come back, uh, Hazari ships seem to have found like the debris of the Voyager, like They talk about like human organic residue and duranium hull fragments. It looks like they blew up a Voyager here. This is like a submarine shooting its junk shot. This is great. Yeah. And they've they've loaded up the junk with with bombs, and this disables the Hazari ship for long enough for them to pull it into their shuttle bay and beam the crew aboard. And finally, they get to talk face-to-face with the Hazari. I love these guys. I love the... Alien style to them. Yeah. Great loaf. Really good loaf. Great, like, armor. They really do look like bounty hunters in a fun way. Yeah. We don't get to see the mind meld interrogation that Tuvok does, but we do get to hear his report of it after. And he's like, yeah, it didn't work. (laughs) I mean, it worked in some ways. (laughs) I blasted big. Right. right. It worked for me, not for them. (laughs) They said, sometimes it's hard the first time with a new person. How about Janeway joking about torture? I know. <laughs> that, that one kind of like hangs in the air. No one plays joke baseball with Janeway. No. In that exact <laughs> Everybody's moment. Everybody's like, yee. Everyone's like, is she serious? Do we have to agree to torture? Yes, and? I guess we'll wait until that opportunity comes. They're on the Hazari ship looking through their computers and- what they find are records that may indicate who hired them because they still don't know who put the bounty on the Voyager's heads. And so uh, these are medical records, I guess. So they take it down to Six Bay where the EMH shows them a hologram of a Malon. And uh, I felt so bad for this Malon extra because he's just there for five seconds to get replaced by Kurastanza. <laughs> I really love this scene in Six Bay because it really demonstrates the doctor's new interest in the dramatic. He's like sitting up there with a manila envelope and he's like, <laughs> I've got the results of the bio readings. Yeah. Brace yourselves. And the bio readings say, it's Malin. <laughs> Malin is the father. <laughs> the crowd goes absolutely crazy. I love this redirect because. It's unbelievable. They're like, the Malin? Those guys? We haven't seen those guys in a long time. I mean, we have a lot of enemies in the D-Quad. Don't get me wrong. And the Malin definitely qualify, but they don't, who gives a shit? They don't give a shit. What's the upside for them? (laughs) They barely spend any money on the maintenance of their own ships. They're going to like pay a bounty to get us? It doesn't track. So Tuvok goes into the EMH's computer and like checks his work. And Tuvok's like, I too have a manila envelope. <laughs> and he's really dramatic with it. He he, he kind of goes up over the top of the EMH because he got that kind of manila envelope. Like the EMH's manila envelope was just like taped across the top, right? Yeah. But Tuvok yeah. got the one with the like little piece of red thread that wraps around the, the brown oh, so great. piece of paper. With a brad. The kind that gets used in like inter-office mail. Right. And you cross off the last addressee uh-huh. and you put the new one on. There's like space for 30. Yeah. It's reused. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah. Brace yourself. 
and it's Kuros. Kuros is the father. Kurostanza is the father. This is no surprise, right? Like we we kind of saw this coming. Like he wanted he wanted seven of nine so bad. What are the chances he didn't hire the Hazari to lay this trap? With my personality and this head of hair, you know what I am now? I am in the game. Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do there is the suggestion that like both Voyager and the Hazari have been taken advantage of. Yeah. By Kuros. I don't think that's an even amount of advantage being taken, right? <laughs> no, but Janeway has this like private meeting with the main Hazari guy where she's like, hey, listen, like pretty humiliating for you, life-threatening for us, so about the same. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so funny. Like, we've all been done wrong by Kuro Stanza. I think we can all agree. <laughs> we have a legitimate gripe. And we smash cut to a McLaughlin group Issue one. that is so big that they've had to move it down into the mess hall. Yeah. I've never seen an episode of the McLaughlin group where the table wasn't a little roundy Yeah, on the bottom. No, this is like an eight-foot table that yeah. they brought out from the back and put draperies on. I love a, uh, let's think of an ideas montage. Yeah. You know? How do we capture them? The goal of this meeting is... Like now the Hazari and the Voyager are going to team up and try and trick the think tank. The think tank yeah. think that they're solving us as a puzzle, but we're going to solve them as a puzzle. Yeah. The ship of Lenny's and the ship of bounty hunters <laughs> will put their intelligence together and try to come up with an idea. And after this montage concludes, we understand just how difficult a task that is. Maybe we can't outthink them. Captain? Yeah, the montage is about like like it shows them like breaking out into into groups and like forming little ad hoc committees and stuff and eventually nominating a speaker for your group and that person not really being interested but then being like a really gifted speaker in a way that makes you wonder why they resisted doing it in the first place. <laughs> right. But yeah, the Hazari dude is pretty pissed that they're like wasting his time. Three hours, no progress. He's like, I'm not even in Starfleet. I don't want to participate in <laughs> positive, healthy group problem solving stuff. A good meeting starts on time and it ends on time. <laughs> and I don't even know what this is. <laughs> for some reason, they break for puzzle uh, in the middle of the his rant. Yeah. And the Rubik's Cube gets thrust in front of Seven, who said that it would be easy to solve. It's not that she's got the solution figured out. It's that she scanned the device and knows the the like math of solving it. It's like she took the stickers off the Rubik's Cube to solve it. Yeah. That's not fair. That's cheating. Cheating is often more efficient. But not fair might just be the key to solving their bigger problem. <laughs> exactly. This is the inspiration to their new plan. The new plan being a Trojan 7. Yeah. So it's like there was like sort of a no-win scenario facing them. And what they're going to do is change the conditions of the test. So they're going to beam 7 over there and a lot of apples. <laughs> Step one, beam 7 over. Step two, beam the apples over. Step three, bunch of question marks. <laughs> Equals profit. 
So I really like the way they chose to do the rest of the episode because it is not really clear whether the Hazari are doing their part for a lot of it. Yeah, you you think for a while it could be a Hazari double cross. Oh, oh, oh my God! Yeah! It's a Hazari double cross. Yeah! Oh, and now they're coming back and helping the Voyager. It's almost like a Hazari triple cross. Ah! Ah! Oh man! <laughs> it's so beautiful. Hey, thanks to all the friends of DeSoto, the dozens and dozens who told us Rainbow Guy's dead. <laughs> yeah, that was just a just a really great message to read multiple times per day over the last week. <laughs> yeah, fun. Really, really nice and uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> Two friends of DeSoto told me he's dead. <laughs> oh, here comes a third. Ah! Oh. Too much. <laughs> That's what I mean. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> the next scene is the Hazari communicating with Kuristanza on their X-shaped view screen in their ship. Yeah, that's fun. That's a crazy shape of view screen, right? Yeah. Wow. We've seen some wild view screens in Star Trek. X-shaped is by far the wildest. Yeah. It's the car company that gets a little too weird with how a view screen works. <laughs> like for one model year, they do X-shaped view screen. <laughs> Debacle. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonder why Scion isn't a isn't a going concern anymore. Yeah. So they're like, hey, like we know that it was actually you that hired us and that you appeared to us as a Malon. Mm-hmm. But our contract is really with you, and uh, you fuck around with us, the price is going up. We want to renegotiate, and so mm-hmm. they they talk him into tripling the bounty. Yeah, hell yeah, it's a triple bounty. <laughs> oh my god, look at that! <laughs> oh, <laughs> we rule of three. The jokes is we did it three times. Oh my god, it's full on. It's so funny. (laughs) Not as funny as just once, but funnier than twice. Hey, you know what else is dead, Ben? Hmm. That joke. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but that joke is dead. The joke's dead, Ben. Yeah. You should have seen that on the internet like I did. And if you missed it, you're bad. You just made my list of muted terms on Twitter. (laughs) Adam Pranica, the disgraced podcaster, was found to have muted the term rainbow on Twitter. (laughs) When reached for comment, he swore that it was not out of... (laughs) I swear I'm an ally. (laughs) It's something else. Don't cancel me. No cancel. <laughs> so they start, uh, the Hazari start attacking Voyager and Kuristanza shows up on the bridge for like the puffs of smoke and the yeah. sparks flying around. And the shit talking. Yeah. Everybody stays in character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they find out that Seven has jaked a shuttle. Yeah. What the hell is she doing? He sort of gloats at this point. He's like, wow, what a shame. I guess, well, she saved your ship, so that's nice for you. Old school shuttle jaking. I love it. 
So he disappears and she goes over there and, uh, you know, we know that she has to like connect with their dome in the middle of their room. Mm-hmm. She has to like hack the... She has to give dome? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, she... <laughs> she has to give them dome as, the, as good as they give. Uh-huh. Yeah, like hack it so that they can't communicate with each other. And uh, it sort of seems like the the jig is up because Kura stands a... Sort of smells a rat. He's, he gets suspicious before this goes down. I instantly recognize this moment as too good to be true, right? Yeah, because like- Hey, uh, you suddenly really like me. Yeah. No one suddenly really likes me. Yeah, and the Hazari are like, okay, quick, pay us. Give us the money. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, why yeah. do you want it so quick? Don't you trust us? It's 4 a.m., in a casino, someone very beautiful is talking to me all of a sudden. <laughs> talking about money pretty fast. Mm. <laughs> so he's like, I don't trust you. Like, let's get inside her mind and see what's actually going on. Yeah. And it turns out the EMH is monitoring Seven's dolphin and throws mm-hmm. a switch when they start to try and monitor her mind. And that's exactly what they wanted. This happens to Seven a lot. Seven's implants have made one of the dudes in the room just start mumbling mm. unintelligibly, like <laughs> short circuits his brain. Right. I mean, even that jellyfish is is uh, yeah. having a hard time concentrating. Yeah. <laughs> Kara Stanza can't disconnect the link. Yeah. This is bad. And then bangers start getting dropped on the think tank ship. Yeah. They come out of cloak. The Hazari are, uh, you know, helping... Voyager fire at them. They get to beam Seven away. But before they go, Kuristanza tries to kind of lay some seeds of doubt in in Seven's head. Yeah, I mean, give it up, Kuristanza. One last pitch. Right. Really? A, always, B, B, (laughs) K, Kuristanza. Yeah. Seven is like, God, give it up. Yeah. I said no like a thousand times. You know, looking back on Seinfeld, maybe it wasn't that great about that kind of thing. <laughs> I love this last shot. The last shot of the think tank ship just being totally swarmed by the Hazari. Yeah. And uh, Voyager just, just sort of uh, tilts him up and rolls out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can sweep up after us. Yeah. Leave me out of this. Yeah. Off to the next dilithium-rich planet. Yeah. But we're going to scan from a slightly further remove this time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. It feels like this is a, a genre episode in Star Trek, right? I brought it up earlier. The, the, uh, the most toys type of episode. Sort of mashed up with a... Uh, what was the episode with uh, with Data playing the cow milking machine with the Kohlrami? Oh, Remember yeah. That guy? Yeah, War uh, Games? Peak performance. Peak performance. This is like a mashup of those two. Like, I love seeing a too smart person get kicked in the nuts like this. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes the episode so satisfying. This dude might have all the money in the world, but he can't get what he wants. Yeah. Or whatever. And he's left to get shot by the very people that he manipulated. So I really love a comeuppance type of story. And this is definitely one of those. Even right on down to Janeway, like having the last little verbal knife twist into Karistanza, like on her way out. Felt good. So I did like it. What about you? 
I liked it a lot. I thought the character was super fun, and I thought the setup was really like interesting. The way we kind of start in their perspective mm-hmm. before we go to the Voyager's perspective, and it's not a breathless episode. Like I think that the third act is pretty pacey and pretty like action packed, but like mm-hmm. it is the rare episode where you really get to like live in these moments for a long time. And Jason Alexander is just such a fun actor to watch do a weird thing and especially do a a weird thing. That's like so against type for him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason it was end with Jason Alexander on Seinfeld. Like he is a, yeah, absolutely world-class performer. So it's really fun to get him in a episode of Star Trek. And uh, I thought he did a great job with the character and, I just had a ton of fun overall. And like the Hazari are like a really cool character design, really interesting mm-hmm. character design. Yeah, A plus all around. I don't get nearly enough of non-George Jason Alexander acting. Like, And one of the things I want to do now that I live in LA is like he does random improvised Shakespeare company sets or whatever. Like, Oh, cool. He does shit like that around LA and I really want to go see some of his work because he's, as you say, just really, really funny and talented. National Treasure. He has a new podcast, right? Oh, no. Nah, why'd you have to say that? I don't want to hate him. <laughs> Stop with the podcast. <laughs> our, our friend and agent probably has something to do with it, so we should ask about that. Well, the more podcasts there are, the less time our agent has for us. That's true, too. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Cut it out. I mean... Not that much less time. I went to the zoo with him this weekend. Did you miss the part where he fired you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hear him because the, the elephant was making uh, really loud noises. Yeah, at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it's time to read the screaming elephant sounds from the Priority One message inbox. Want to go see what we have over there? I do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first message is of a promotional nature, and that message goes like this. Ben and Adam, I wanted to show some support and shout out some friends. My parents would be FODs, but they don't listen to podcasts. Brothers and sisters... Not this podcast. (laughs) So the only two I could think of who might fit this Venn diagram are former co-workers. They considered Voyager date night level TV when we worked together. And there's a request for the Jackie and Lori theme. It's the Jackie and Lori show. The Jackie and Lori show. It's the Jackie and Lori show. The Jackie and Lori show. So this is a personal message masquerading as a promotional message. Yeah. Because, uh... What, are Jackie and Lori the former co-workers? I don't think that Lori Kilmartin would have watched Voyager. Jackie Cation, I'd buy. One of the things about a promotional message is that it's a little bit unclear about the who. Yeah. Or the from. Yeah. The call to action is to Candy via Jeremy. So maybe this is from Jeremy. Maybe? <laughs> the via is throwing me, man. Right, yeah. But uh, whatever the case... I like the message. Thanks for doing a commercial message. And yeah, like what makes the workplace better than a shared interest? Yeah. 
And uh, hey, if your parents have a smartphone, just make sure that their podcast app is downloading our show. They don't have to listen yeah. to it. They don't have to know. Adam, our next priority one message is from past Josh, and it's the future Josh. It goes like this. Hey, future Josh, you hopefully no longer fat fuck. Now you're obligated to keep listening to this terrible, terrible podcast at the gym. Ben and Adam, thanks for the hundreds of hours of entertainment. The pain of working out pales in comparison to that caused by listening to your god-awful jokes. Keep it up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was targeted to this episode. So uh seems like past Josh had this idea of when the workout goals would be completed. Hey, future Josh, send us your address. I'm going to shoot you a Jim Shimoda headband. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And join Jim Shimoda, the uh, the lifestyle group on all of the internets. They're friends of DeSoto who are interested in uh, living healthy. I love it. Getting exercise. Whatever. Ben, our final priority one message is from an embarrassed friend of DeSoto. It is to friends of DeSoto. Message goes like this. I assume Adam and Ben, as video production professionals, can appreciate good editing when they see it. Mm. So I encourage all FODs to look up Star Trek, the sexed generation on YouTube. It may be the ultimate Star Trek dick joke. <laughs> Best video I ever saw. My drunk spending is helping the pod so I can live with it. Kapla! <laughs> Didn't we review that, Adam? I think this embarrassed friend of DeSoto is referring to the clip, the sexed generation. Uh, that every once in a while floats to the top of the Star Trek consciousness. Oh. So this isn't the pornographic parody of Star Trek with all the right. adult parts edited out that we reviewed. It's about 10 minutes of edited together out of context clips to uh, suggest hot fucking action to the max, Jack. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a very horny show. Yeah. As is Voyager. I mean, as are all Star Treks ultimately, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, if folks out there would like to get drunk and leave a message or send a cryptic <laughs> promotional message that doesn't seem to be promoting anything, it's very easy to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. It's a double Shimoda. I'm going to give it to Parrots and Neelix, who I noticed were one of the groups in the breakout session portion of the brainstorm. There's a lot about this like extra big McLaughlin group that I thought was really funny. Like I was thinking about how frustrated the bounty hunters would be in a context of like, let's get together and think of some, you know, no bad ideas, guys. <laughs> like like that, yeah. that kind of hang. Culturally, how much that would be grating to them. I thought it was funny that they had it in Neelix's restaurant, and I wondered where everybody else on the crew was getting food when <laughs> they were spending so much time in there, because it didn't seem like people were like coming in and helping themselves out to Leola roots or anything. Right. But I really liked that Paris and Neelix were A, both there, and B, teamed up together to try and come up with stuff. <laughs> Good calls. So each gets a half or one full portion? They get a portion. full. They get, they get a... Okay. Yeah. I mean, we got to be clear about that when it comes to the metrics. Right, right. Yeah, I don't want anybody working on the leaderboards to get it twisted. Those are those are full Shimodas, both of them. How about you, Adam? I'm going to make mine Janeway. Wow. She's got a lot of sass. 
this episode. She does. In the very beginning, it seems like she's done with any form of diplomacy for the rest of the episode. She just sort of like establishes that she's going to be talking some shit. (laughs) And that's how she's going to be the whole episode. Get on her level. (laughs) And I loved every time she had an interaction with uh, Kuristanza. It was like loaded with that kind of freight. Yeah. I loved it. And it wasn't so much to call attention to like, God, what's wrong with Janeway? She's really a short fuse. It's like just not really going to put up with your guff, Janeway. And that is a a form of her character (laughs) that I really like. Good Shimoda, my friend. Why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game, and I will tell you about the next episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's season five, episode 20, Juggernaut. After encountering a damaged Malon freighter, a repair crew from Voyager tries to contain a toxic chemical leak that threatens a nearby inhabited planet. Huh. Are we sure it's the Malon or is it Kuristanza again? <laughs> yeah. I also am just wondering if there will be any kind of heavy-handed ecological messaging in this episode. Oh, I hope so. That'd be cool, right? Ben, our runabout is currently on square 55. Okay. That's right next to the Christmas tree-looking Canar with Damar square. Uh-huh. Dead ahead, one square ahead is the caretaker. That's the square that randomizes what square our runabout lands on next. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Those are the only two nearby, and only one of them's possible. So I'm going to roll this bone. Do it. Ben, I rolled a two. It's hopped us over the caretaker square. It's landed us on square 57. Wow. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. And you know what that means. It's a regular rolled episode. The one time you don't roll a one. Yeah. Okay. I did it. I can get with that. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, uh, regular old episode next week. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, hey, if you missed the Max Fun Drive, we always need your support. It's maximumfun.org slash join to do that. We really tremendously appreciate the folks that didn't miss the Max Fun Drive and already supported. You are really the reason we get to keep doing this. It's the greatest job we ever had. Best boss we ever had is you. Cannot overstate the gratitude. Was that you for me? No, for the I friends, think you're the best boss too. The friends of DeSoto are the best boss that either of us ever had, is what I'm saying. Now they can be your boss. They're not my boss, Ben. You're my boss. <laughs> yeah, that's the hierarchy. It's friends uh-huh. of DeSoto, me, you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Always has been. But yeah, we're uh, we couldn't be more pleased with how the the drive went. It's a little slice of heaven making this for you. It's less stress for another year. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. We get to make some fun plans and feel good about having the money to pay for them. So excited about that. We have a lot of people to thank. In addition, we got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, editor. Wendy did yeoman's work going through the drive. So much stuff yeah. on her plate, and she really just knocked it out the box. We really, really appreciate her hard work. Bill Tilly, our social media director over here at the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporation. Also working the midnight hours, getting social media posts queued up for the drive. Bill Tilly with a real job. Yeah. And he he does this on the side with what little extra time he's got. 
and you know he does this on the side all year long making it more fun to be a friend of DeSoto on a social media thing so uh, we really really hugely appreciate his work sure do if you'd like uh, to get involved on social media we're all over the place it's at greatest trek on Instagram Twitter and I believe we're on Mastodon now yeah I've been really enjoying Mastodon. I feel like it's got a lot of the things I liked about Twitter and almost none of the things that I hated about Twitter. So hmm. I think that might be my my place from now on. That's a nice endorsement. Yeah. There's lots of Friends of DeSoto on there. There's a whole federated Friends of DeSoto thing, which I don't know quite what that means, but uh, I'm figuring it out bit by bit. It's federated DeSoto. Yeah. It's a completely different quality of product. <laughs> We got to thank Mick Dittmore, who made the show art and uh, helps us with podshop.biz. We got to thank the great Adam Ragusea, yeah. who made our theme music and teaches us how to cook every week over there on his YouTube cooking show and on his podcast. We love you, the goose. I just got a couple of messages this week about people who just got into the goose's podcast having for some reason not already heard of it. They were like, this guy's great. <laughs> Where's the show been all my life? I know. I know. So yeah, check him out. I texted Goose the other day. I was like, you're a real genius, Goose. Yeah. Love learning things from you. Anyways. And then in classic Adam Ragusea fashion, no response. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is going to chase polluters down to zero. Oh, yeah. Like Captain Planet did that one time. Plug those exhaust pipes. (laughs) Plug them up. (laughs) It's it's just the Voyager beaming bananas into the (laughs) exhaust ports of Malon ships. Oh, yeah. Silly yet. Fun stuff. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.